Rolling Stones sing a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. They hear the radio ads, they see the high life being marketed to them on the TV, but no matter how hard they try, they just can't get no satisfaction. Isaiah chapter 55 addresses this problem. It's known as the Great Invitation, as God invites you to come and join his feast. Starting at verse 1, Come, everybody who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Are you thirsty? God can take care of that. Hungry? God's got you covered. And the best part, it's all free. And with this invitation comes a question. Why are you trying to find satisfaction with anything else? Verse 2, why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Like the Rolling Stones, we try to find satisfaction in riches and luxury, social esteem and our romantic lives, in position and power. But no matter how great those might make us feel, none of that compares to what God's offering. Many of these are achieved through great effort, and they're only kept by an exhausting amount of maintenance. And the book of Ecclesiastes makes the point that even if you find success and happiness throughout your entire life, you still end up dying, and you can't take any of that with you. Life is like eating. No matter how full you are today, you're always going to be hungry again tomorrow. So God is offering something beyond the physical appetite. The feast is a metaphor. God is inviting us to something much better than just dinner. He says that he's going to make a permanent covenant with you, like the one he made with David. If you remember from our reading in 2 Samuel 7, David is overwhelmed with gratitude that God could take a nobody like him from herding sheep and set him on a throne and make an eternal covenant with him. Likewise, God is able to take us, nobody special on the world stage, and he can glorify us. The covenant that God will make with us is going to be so incredible so awe-inspiring that verse 5 says that people from all nations are going to come running to see and join in the feast with us. Now, if you'll pay attention real careful again to verse 1, you'll notice that God says that the things he offers, they're without price. Yet at the same time, he tells us to come and buy it. So how do we buy something that has no price? Well, in verse 6, we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. God is the ultimate source of meaning and satisfaction, and he wants us to stop looking for it anywhere else. We need to seek God while we still have time in this life. And in doing so, we are abandoning our ways and our thoughts. We're invited to the feast, and God, he's got the spread taken care of, so we don't want to be bringing anything with us. Instead, he wants our thoughts and our ways to be transformed into his. Verse 7 also tells us what's so satisfying about this feast. It's forgiveness. Remember that Isaiah is speaking to Israel at one of the lowest points in their history. Their sin has dragged them down further and further into idolatry and further away from God. Their captivity in Babylon was God's judgment on his people. But now, God says he's willing to forgive all that. He's willing to have compassion and wipe it all away. Every idolatrous act, every sin, every adultery, every bloody hand, all is made pure and forgiven. Now, some might find it incredible that God would ever forgive Israel, or really anyone for that matter. When you take a critical look at humanity as a whole, there's quite a bit to condemn. 
We've all abandoned God to our own selfish ways. We've rejected his laws for our own, and human history is pretty much one long story of disaster after the next. So why would God have any interest in us? Well, you start reading at verse 9, and God says, As heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and don't return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. We might consider some acts unforgivable, but God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His compassion for his people is beyond what we could conceive. And more than that, God has promised to Abraham that he would bless all families through Israel. God has spoken, and just like the rain makes the earth grow, God's word is going to give Israel and you new life so that we can fulfill our purpose. God offers you the invitation to join his feast. You might try and find satisfaction elsewhere for a time, but you're never going to find forgiveness and eternal life without God.